Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, I spoke with Becca Apfelstadt, the co-founder of Columbus-based creative and marketing agency Tree Tree. We discussed how they got started at a time of change how they are pivoting in this time of change, where marketing agency models are going, the importance of culture and the role of the office when things go back to normal, her passion for empowering women through mentorship, closing the pay gap, and parental leave policies, and why we need to take the comma off of Columbus. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Also, The Confluence Cast is on Patreon. Find out how to support this podcast on our website, theconfluencecast.com, or at patreon.com confluence. Enjoy the interview. Sitting down here virtually talking with Becca Apfelstadt, the co-founder and CEO of Columbus-based agency Tree Tree. Becca, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks, Tim, for having me. No, absolutely. So first of all, tell us what Tree Tree is. How did Tree Tree get started? Well, we got started in the middle of the recession. So we're an, an agency that helps support uh, what we call B2B giants when they need creative firepower. And it wasn't always that. We started as a, a small dining room duo. Um, it was myself and a co-founder. And um, we really took an opportunity to leave a situation where the agency we were at before, where we met, didn't make it through the recession, unfortunately. And, and to be just for context, this is the recession of 2008. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, we started in, in March of 2009. Uh, when no one was no one was hiring marketing folks. And uh, so we just looked at each other and said, well, if we're not going to go get a job, most likely, let's try this on our own. Let's see if we can take all the great things we learned at the place that we worked before and uh, carry those forward into a new culture and see if we can make it. And I was 27 and had no clue what I was doing. And it was really scary. And she had two young kids and her husband had just um, started his own business and and bought into a business um, about a year prior. So, you know, financially it was scary, but we looked at each other and made the leap. And uh, Tree Tree has has grown wonderfully and beautifully over the last uh, twelve years. And um, we just in the last six months through COVID had the opportunity to kind of pause and take a look at where do we go next and what where. Mm -hmm agency headed and what's the right next step for us. And so we're really going all in on um, the target audience of B2B giants. We have a real knack for serving large, complex organizations where the subject matter is complicated, their uh, structure is hard to navigate, and mm -hmm. it's us you know, excited to be able to go in and help marketing and sales teams shine in the times where it's what we call go time. They might yeah. help with a pitch. They have an opportunity to launch a new product or service. 
They need to rally the sales team or associates around something and get everybody together for a great experience. Um, and we're able to put that extra oomph and force um, behind what those initiatives are and take things off their plate, move them forward and elevate mm-hmm. um, the whole experience and, and have fun doing it together. And you're specializing more within the business business space prior to COVID. You certainly service business to business, but you also did stuff outside of that, but it tended to be special projects based. Yeah. Uh, do you, are the, and this may be getting a little bit too into the weeds of agency stuff, but is it still campaign based primarily the work that you're doing around individual projects and initiatives? Yeah, that's really where the industry's going. I mean, mm-hmm. more, and more clients want to engage on a project basis. Um, it's not abnormal. Um, the classic AOR model is, you know, it's been contested for years that that's going by the wayside. And, and, and so fewer and fewer of those contracts are up for grabs. Um, we never lived in that world. We started with that different model from the very beginning. Um, so we're just, we're focused less on general special projects for anyone and really kind of doing for ourselves what we have always recommended clients do and focusing more and working as the agency of special projects um, got us here and we're very grateful for that journey and gave us a lot of varied experience, but we've found really our sweet spot and what um, gets us excited and and where we can add the most value and have decided to go all in on that. How many folks work for Tree Tree, either full-time or contract? Right now we have about 15 full-time and then we have anywhere um, probably about five FTE equivalents at any given time that we're working on contract basis and got it kind of a, a bench of extended talent that we can tap into to flex in and out as needed. What did for agency, this is basically office life. Like what did office life, how has it looked over the course of the past year? Where is it now? I'm diving right into it. Where, yeah. and, and, and where does it go? Where, where, where is it going to be in, three months, six months, at least in terms of your visioning as a a business leader? Yeah, this is really interesting because I was always of the mindset that we're together. We are, we are in person. We are all over. We used to call ourselves puppies. We were like on top of each other. We had, (laughs) uh, we just love to be collaborating and in the same room and always around each other. And it was really not, we were not set up for remote work. Um, Years ago, you know, we had this, this, beautiful office and we still do have a beautiful office, but the office was the center of a lot of things. And we used it as part of our selling process and it was really a part of our brand. Um, and we had, you're in the battleship building, right? We're in the battleship building, the yeah. first floor right next door to the North market, a wonderful mm-hmm. space. We were there for just over five years. And then we, um, designed and built out a new space above North star in the short North. And Mm -hmm. we got through that construction process, which took a whole year to make it exactly how we wanted. And And then what happened? And (laughs) we moved in and we got the pictures on the wall and we got, you know, everything situated and everybody organized. And we were there for six weeks and the governor shut down the state and we told everybody to go pack up and go home. And we haven't really been back since uh, in any regular cadence. People have used it, you know, here and there. Um, Mm -hmm. But we'll be going back in mid-June. And mm-hmm. I, I had to think really hard about the role of the office and let go of some things as as a leader because, you know, 
you can easily send signals to your team that you trust or don't trust them at this moment in time based on how mm-hmm. you respond in the, the post-COVID kind of situation and what return to office will look like. So I did a survey with my team and, and got information from everybody about how they were feeling, what their ideal state would be, you know, describe, even if it's completely impractical, where would you work? How often would you be at the office? What would your schedule be like? What equipment would we have? What tools, software? Um, what would the structure of your day be like? Dream with me and lay it all mm-hmm. out. And looked at all of those answers and um, what's best for us and what's best for you and how do you see this impacting clients and work and pros and cons. And we went through this whole thing and I really sat with all that data. I looked at tons of information that's out there and studies that have been completed and identified that, yes, we spent a ton of money building out this beautiful new office space and I could just Mm -hmm. force everybody to go in there and use it because it's the sunk cost otherwise. Um, But... I would have really hurt some team members feeling good about the culture and tree tree Mm -hmm. and our culture is so important and having this opportunity to make their favorite place they ever worked and the client's favorite agency they ever hired is really my purpose for wanting to be in business for myself. That's, Mm -hmm. that's gets me excited to be able to, to do that for folks. So I, um, came up instead with an alternative where we're going to do work in the office two days a week of their choice from 11 to three only because the commute okay. came up as such an issue that people really just hate the commute and don't want to do the back and forth that hour a day of going you know, through the traffic was just such a stressful point. And I heard so many great stories about what people are doing with that time instead exercising, getting more sleep, time with family, eating, actually eating breakfast with their kids that they had never been able mm-hmm. to eat before. Um, we had people say that their, you know, their lab results, their doctors are telling them I'm healthier than I've been in years and I should, you know, keep doing whatever I'm doing. And a lot of that <laughs> came down to um, making sure that they were using that time appropriately. So it's like, how do you, what's the benefit of forcing us back in away from that if this is working because we've had productivity and we've we've been able to wow clients and we've hung on to our culture and um, we've gotten through this together so the reward is and the bright spot is we've figured out a new way to work that balances and creates this hybrid um, and allows people to find that fit between autonomy and accountability Mm-hmm. You have to really have everybody be accountable to their role and their tasks and work independently and be relied upon in order to have that autonomy. Yeah. And when you say trust, I'm and I'm going to attempt to translate it, that if you were to force all 15 of those folks, hey, it's time to go back. It's time to go back to 40 hours a week. That may feel to them as though you don't trust them. Right. To be getting to be getting the work done because they just did it all from home for over a year and they got their right. job done. So why all of a sudden, you know, what's what? But what is you know the the interpretation a few layers down? If they read between mm-hmm. the lines, I think it sends that signal. And I mean, I've read studies that there's employees who are I think it's 41 percent of the workforce globally, uh, according to something that came out through Microsoft recently, is considering a a switch in jobs and looking mm-hmm. 
COVID has forced everybody to rethink their life and mm -hmm. style and people have found that this hybrid environment works for them. And some people want all remote work. And if their employer that they're currently with doesn't offer it, they're going to go find it somewhere else. Right. And so does the, cause the, the big, at least I found in my work, the, the detriment has been communication with working fully remote. You have to wait for a stand up or project update meeting to learn what's happening rather than finding out at the water cooler or, or just being able to like pop down to somebody's office or somebody doesn't want to compose a three paragraph Slack message about the most recent phone call they had with a client and how things are pivoting and changing. Yeah. So they just sit on it. 48 hours later, it may not be worthwhile. And the people who never knew about it were still moving forward with a a design or copywriting or something didn't need to be doing that. And if everybody had been in the office at the same time, you would have known. And so is that the virtue of those 11 to three days of like this, this, this is when we will be communicating. Well, we're still going to have our company standups, you know, our status mm -hmm. virtually on Monday morning and Friday morning, which we've been doing through COVID. And then on Wednesday, we're going to come together, um, which could be somebody's day that they choose to be in the office or not. We're going to try to come together for a team lunch just for that camaraderie and culture moment. Yeah. Everybody just having some fun together, getting a mm -hmm. chance to chat. But we've been in the business of over communicating this entire year. So I don't feel like we've really missed. In, in fact, I feel that people almost seem to be more informed than they were before when we were all scattered. Mm. We've used Slack. We've used video updates. Um, we've I, I've recorded myself talking through uh, kudos for someone or something that happened and sent out a video to the team for them to watch when they have time that mm -hmm. in the moment on that day, you know, we maybe we couldn't find time in the schedule to get everyone rounded up and do it live. So a video, at least they get my my face and the um, expressions and the enthusiasm communicated in the way that they would have live. So we've found other methods. It's forced us to have to be more creative and, mm -hmm. um, and to think through who needs this information now. And we've really encouraged people to not, like if there's something that you need to say, stop on this project, call them on Slack. You know, right. don't wait for their green light to come on. We've got cell phones. We all know how to reach each other. Get right. in touch with them. Raise your hand. Get the flag waving. Right. Some agency work is set up through billable hours. Mm -hmm. And you guys, are you transitioning away from tracking those hours? Most agencies track what they call timesheets, where you mm -hmm. know, every hour, whether it's a project fee or it's a um, time and materials or a bank of hours retainer, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. And that's all being tracked. We were in that same camp and we had utilization targets for each person. And then we were sending this communication to everybody to say, you know, design your day, however works best for you and do the things you need to do. Get out for a walk. Don't sit on Zoom all day. And they're like, but I got this utilization target. And so it was this competing message of go out and, you know, design it however you want. Get your stuff done. As long as you get it done, we don't care. But then we mm -hmm. didn't take away the target. And so there was this pushback and, and feeling of, I don't, I don't know which is true. Like, which thing do I care about here more? Right. Um, 
So I thought about that and realized that in order for the return to work to work the way that we want, we had to lift the timesheet uh, handcuffs and okay. allow people to just do their work and have that accountability um, and trust that they're getting it done and they're being mindful and that we have really smart people. My old boss used to say, we hired adults and now we're going to treat them like adults. And so this is one mm -hmm. of those moments. Um, the only thing we still track is if we are charging a client on an hourly basis. So okay. we still have a handful of clients that work with us in that kind of manner. And so we, we still track that. But it's been really freeing for the team. I mean, the, the feedback has been incredible. People feel like it's a big lift in their day, a huge lift to not have to do that and go back. And, and the other thing with timesheets is often it's, it's inaccurate. I've mm -hmm. read people who've actually tried to study this and break it down. And it's like, you're, you're reconstructing your day often after the fact. Mm -hmm. And our memories are very fallible. We don't well, and we have a, uh, an incentive to fluff it a bit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And if there isn't enough work for them to do to hit that target, that's my problem and fault. <laughs> not theirs. They're not in right. charge of business development and sales, most likely. Right. As you've sort of come into your own and tree tree, I'm thinking specifically about how you've placed an importance around mentoring other women entrepreneurs. If you could talk about your passion there and what and why that's important to you. Yeah. I, I really feel like there are so many females who have great ideas and passions and interests and they talk themselves out of it and don't consider how it could get done instead of why it, you know, what the roadblocks are. And mm. I've heard too many of those stories and too many of the regrets. And I love the opportunity to help inspire someone to think, you know, differently. It doesn't mean that you have to have funding and you have to go give up your life savings. I started Tree Tree with my co-founder. We each put $500 into a bank account and we each brought a laptop. And 12 mm -hmm. months later, this place is flourishing, you know, and it's sustained my family for that entire mm -hmm. time and lots of other families. So it's possible, you know, and, and just helping people think through not um, how how this can't happen, but what needs to happen in order for it to happen and getting them connected to resources that might be helpful. Um, just, we got to support each other. And it's not that I don't, mm -hmm. that I don't support or, or try to mentor wouldn't be open to, you know, male co-founders or founders who are looking at that as well, but particularly for women and young women uh, who look at my story and, and want to pick my brain, I try to make myself available as often as possible because people did that for me. It was really mm -hmm. powerful and meaningful. And and I can, in hindsight, look back at what I wish I would have known and give them some watch outs and some things to consider. And they'll make maybe different mistakes because the struggles really do help as well. It's like mm -hmm. someone asked me on, on LinkedIn the other day when I mentioned that I was... Um, had just spent an hour doing a walk and talk with somebody who was going through considering getting something off the ground. And I said, I shared some of the, the stuff I wish I would have known. And she said, but would you have done anything different? And I said, it's a really good question. Probably not. Probably wouldn't have done anything different, but maybe she can make different mistakes and maybe that's helpful. 
because mm-hmm. you know that you at least don't have to do the same ones I did. <laughs> well, it's additive, right? Like yeah. the, the those mistakes got made. Yeah. So now I get to make brand new mistakes and solve for that. And still making them every day. Don't worry, it never ends. That's yeah, a- and is it is your passion for mentoring other women simply? Well, I, I imagine it's, I don't certainly don't want to put words in your mouth here, but it's multifaceted in that you want people who are like you to succeed, one, and two, you, there is a, uh, let's call it a dearth of women in the space of entrepreneurs that like met, men have been groomed yeah. to think I should be successful and I should, I can go and do whatever I want. And it's maybe... And that's the gendered part of it. Yes. Yes. I, I, that fires me up and it makes me, um, it, it, it does. It makes me kind of angry that there's not more done to inspire and empower women to feel just as competent and capable because they are. And I said from the beginning, I mean, one of the big things for me in getting this going was not, um, it's like, yeah, we have some naysayers and we want to go prove them wrong. But I started Tree Tree because I could. And just because, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you can do something, you should. And and I think there's so many more women out there who have ideas that can do it. And so they should go do that and try it because you can always go get another job. You can't always take that time and that moment to to try it. So if it's in you and you have this idea and you have this passion... I mean, what's to lose? Maybe there's risk, there's financial risk, there's but there's risk of regret too if you don't. Mm-hmm. Well, and just to draw that line, the mentorship that you're providing is hopefully demonstrating that they can. Yeah. I try to help them identify all their superpowers and the things that they are not giving themselves enough credit for as to why they can and should do this. Because they'll come with plenty of reasons why they shouldn't and plenty of things that are the barriers and the obstacles. And I try to turn all that on its head and go, okay, well, then how do we solve for that? Or, but, but over here, look at this. And, and what, what the, what is the world missing if you don't do this? That's an excellent point. I want to pivot back to, as a business leader, you've, you've done your best to demonstrate that treating people well as employees is important. Um, and that's reflected in how you research that you're going back to work strategy and how you did outreach to your current employees to figure that out. Um, you've talked in the past also about your passion surrounding uh, closing the pay gap and also parental leave policies. And I'm just wondering if you could talk about those. Yeah, I think the parental leave policy um, is a really good example where I actually, I mean, I I had two children during the time that Tree Tree was growing at an enormous mm-hmm. pace, so it was a real life example. And I we had a maternity leave policy, and mm-hmm. it was considered generous, you know, at the time six weeks at sixty percent. It was something, you know. This is this is years ago. And so I, when I had my, um, my son, I gave myself the opportunity to experience our maternity leave policy as it was in place. And I experimented and did it myself. I paid myself 60% of my salary through our, Mm -hmm. um, short-term disability. And 
um, came back to work after six weeks and realized our policy sucked and it was horrible. <laughs> and so I changed it because that's one of the great things you can do when you are, are at the helm of your own small business. You can make changes and make decisions that make policy better for other people. So I ran it through the filter of how would I want this to be for my family? Because I, I think of Tree Tree as a team and, you know, as a family, and these are people I really, really care about. And they're at a moment where they're welcoming people in and, and it's exhausting and it's a lot of recovery and it's a lot of adjustment and you're nowhere near ready, I don't think, after six weeks to let go of the little one nor mm -hmm. ready to come back and have yourself fully engaged in business discussions and putting on regular pants and all of those things. <laughs> I mean, what? Yeah. Face it. It's you're kind of a wreck for a while. You need a little more time. Yeah. Um, and so I did a hundred percent for 12 weeks for mom's dad's birth and adoption. And we okay. have had so far five, saplings join us uh on this policy that's cute my i like what you did there yeah <laughs> one my niece and um we have a couple people currently expecting as well which is really exciting and mm -hmm. um just so glad and they've come back and not missed a beat and it's been an investment in our culture and in um showcasing what a small business can do that maybe seems like a stretch to others. And I know from anecdotal um, stories that have come back that me doing that has caused at least three other businesses to reevaluate their own policy and make positive change in our local community. And that made me feel really good. Then that's great. I mean, that positive impact is great, not just for your employees, but the, um, the diffusion effect, if you will. Yeah. Is there more work you want to do in advocacy in that space? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's sharing, sharing my story and continuing to mm -hmm. other um, business owners. A couple of the ones that I've impacted so far have been led by males who never okay. thought about including dads or, or thought that dads should get less. And mm. I pushed back on that and said, if you don't give equal leave for the father, you're sending a signal perhaps that gender norms should exist and it's up to the woman to be, you know, fully caretaking, you know, in those other moments. So yeah, why do you as a leader want to make that statement? And, and what, what if your statement instead was take the time and support, you know, maybe she needs to go back to work sooner and he's staying right. I mean, who, wh why, why are we making that assumption? So it was like, whoa, I never thought about that. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to send that signal and times are changing. Mm -hmm, certainly. And for adoption, you know, I, I heard stories, my husband was adopted and I have had uh, people at Tree Tree that we've employed in the past who have adopted at other companies. And they told me stories about having to essentially um, like being forced almost to lie about how their time off worked, like working with their uh, hmm. direct boss to come up with a way to cover up the fact that they were taking extra time in this giant corporation that wouldn't mm -hmm. give 
time, but the baby wasn't legally old enough to put in childcare yet. Hmm. They're legally responsible for it. Yeah. For the child, you know, and so you've adopted this baby just because you don't have any physical recovery. They weren't giving any paid time off. And I'm like, that's terrible. Yeah. From an adoption standpoint, just because you're not physically recovering doesn't mean that you aren't, even if the baby is like two, like that you don't have time to transition and nest for this person. Yes. Also, the life change that you're experiencing and going through, and you need time to do that and deal with it. agree. The commitment that you can get from people to come back feeling connected to the culture and taken care of um, is just incredible. And it's it's money well spent. And our team, even the, the folks that had already had their children or who were or who, who had decided they weren't going to have children. When we announced this policy, it was one of my happiest moments hmm. in this company ever just to see the team's response and reaction. There were tears, there was high kicks. It was lots of hugging, lots of just pride that they worked at a place that cared about families like this. And so mm-hmm. business owners out there, who've considered this and want to talk more about the ins and outs of it and how it works. I'm an open book. I'll share our policy and how it's worked for us, how we've structured it, the benefits we've seen. Um, but truly believe it's an incredible asset and, and something that we need. That's great. Well, I recognize that you're passionate about it. I'm curious if there's much to say about the, the pay gap issue. That's a passion of yours. Yeah. I mean, I just, I think that there's, more work to do. We've made progress mm-hmm. I think locally here in Columbus. What um, Shannon Ginther's initiative um, that that she worked on through the Columbus Women's Commission has mm-hmm. helped us get somewhere. I, I was in a room where I got to watch some local leaders really who had not been exposed to how the numbers, how disparate the numbers were um, and go back and make positive change in their organizations. We employ almost all women, not by mm-hmm. not by choice, kind of by chance. It just just so happens. So we don't really have the issue inside our own company. Um, but I I'm very sensitive to it and aware of it, and um, advocate for that not being the case, you know, anymore. And and I've um, really marveled at how some of our local male leaders have have stood up for that, and like what Mike Kaufman at Cardinals done. They're a client of ours. Mm-hmm to call attention to it and make changes based on the knowledge. And like, once you have that knowledge, you can't ignore it. You got to go do something about it. And the companies that are, are, are paving that path. And I think it's commendable. Absolutely. I want to thank you for your time today, but before I let you go, I want to ask a question that I tend to ask in, in a lot of episodes is one, what do you think Columbus is doing really well? And then the second question will be the, the reverse of that. I think Columbus is doing a really great job at attracting talent that is, we've come a long way in being able to get people to come here and Mm -hmm. have the location be such a deterrent or such a a hurdle to overcome. You know, Mm -hmm. top talent coming in from, for the retail brands, top talent coming in for tech, top talent coming in for the universities. Um, just the, the stories I hear and, and what I see, it does not feel like it's such a hard sell. Um, they mm-hmm. might, you know, have, 
have come in for the interview, but then they they needed a lot more um, massaging to get comfortable with the idea of moving their family or, or coming here. And yeah. just all of the the restaurants and the culture and how um, the landscape has changed, um, the parks, the you know just all the recreation access for from the airport, you know what they've done to make it mm-hmm. easy to travel. I feel like there's just been a, a lot of positive enhancements to the lifestyle here that have made it easier for people from other markets to consider making that move. And that's really mm-hmm. good for, for our business community. And what could Columbus do better? I think Columbus could do better at collectively having more confidence in that. I think we, as a community, we're still, you know, I've been in the business community here close to 20 years and it's still like you talk to someone from outside of the market and it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm from Columbus, Ohio. Almost like it's gotta be. That you uh, have to qualify it. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're a subscriber to the Mike Coleman swagger. Like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, we gotta have some more swagger. Right. We got to have some more. I'm from Columbus. And if you don't know where that is, what's your problem? You know, right. What? Why have you heard? No, I'm not talking about a medium sized town in Georgia. Yes. Or Indiana or wherever. Right. Um, So I I think we have a ways to go with the confidence and um, someone that I admire used to call it like, let's just take the comma off of Columbus. Because it's always like that. Columbus, comma, Ohio. How can we take the comma off of Columbus? Um, right. And our industry, you know, we deal with that too. It, you know, the the big ad shops aren't. They're in San Francisco and New York City and L.A. and all of the big markets. And there's there's um, it's hard to get attention sometimes. But we've been able to work with a lot of brands that are headquartered here and and make great headway with those fortune 500 and and as we expand with our new positioning we're really looking at you know going outside of the market too so we're gonna have to keep that in mind as as a company you know absolutely let that be something that gets in our way absolutely becca thank you so much for your time today thank you tim it was a pleasure Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite co founder. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. Our producer is Philip Cogley. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week.